praise the Lord. He is coming back one day. And He will gather His church and He will make all things right. Amen? Alright, if, if you are eagerly anticipating the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you to come back on Sunday nights. We've been working our way verse by verse through the book of the Revelation. Started in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, back in August of 2021. And we are now in the zenith of Revelation chapter 19. All right. And we might finish the book before Christ returns, but I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I just encourage you to be a part of those services if you can. Um, this morning, we're still not going back to the book of Ephesians yet. We, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings. And I feel the freedom to say we're taking a summer vacation. And we'll pick back up in Ephesians later on. And we're just going to Holy Ghost bounce around to different texts throughout the scripture for a while. Um, I, I would like to ask you this morning to open your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Um, I would like to read for you verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. This is His Word, and you may be seated. Modern church culture in America downplays the importance of preaching in local church life. Whether they say it outwardly, it's demonstrated in the ecclesiology or the way of worship, if you will, in a lot of different places. The result is that in many local churches, almost anything goes when it comes to pulpits and preaching. It's uh, okay so long as the preacher reads a verse from the Bible, but what happens after that? Nah, people don't worry so much. And that's concerning. That's very concerning. Yeah, why so concerning? It is because preaching is central to the health of the local church. It is absolutely essential. The proclamation of the sacred scriptures is essential to genuine worship in the corporate gathering of God's people. That is a 
a fact of the matter. Preaching is not about a man ranting his opinions or entertaining with funny stories or the alluring implementation of some dynamic illustration. Preaching is worship. It is worship itself. It is a most high and holy moment when the sacred scriptures are proclaimed. It is a moment of indescribable worship. You say, how so, pastor? It is worship for the preacher to exalt in the scriptures and exalt the written word of God. And it is worship for the hearer to hear that word and receive that word and respond to that word. That is all worship. The response on part of the hearer might be praising God. You hear the word preaching in it. You hear the word being preached and you might say, Amen. Or you might say, That's right. Or you might say, like the uh, old black lady used to say that I know, Well, glory! Okay? It is your response to the word itself. And sometimes that response is silence. Because of the overwhelming gravity of what is being said. Sometimes that response is, is faith being encouraged in you. Sometimes that response is the conviction of sin. And sometimes that response is one of repentance in regard to that conviction. That's all worship. R. Scott Clark, the professor of church history and historical theology at Westminster Seminary in California... He said this, and I want to quote him. He said, Worship isn't about your experience, experience of religious ecstasy. It's about hearing God and responding appropriately according to His Word. And Clark is on spot with that statement. That is true. So very true. In the local church gathering, how the preacher preaches and the hearer responds is the determining factor in whether or not you have had a genuine worship experience. Period. True preaching, or true worship that is, is not how many songs you sing. Though you can sing and sing loudly in true worship. True worship is not how often you shout, sit, or dance a holy jig. Though you can shout and sit and dance a holy jig and it still be true worship. True worship, though, is defined by how clearly you hear God speak and rightly responding to that spoken word. This means it is important the type of preaching that takes place in the local church gathering. Can't just anything go. The type of preaching that takes place in the local church needs to reflect the type of preaching that is seen in the Scripture, that is indicated in the Scripture, that is important. And if we don't conform to what we see in this text, we're in trouble. 
It must. It must. It must. Um, the type of preaching that takes place needs to reflect the type of preaching presented to us in the Bible. Preaching that does not follow the bi- biblical pattern is meaningless and useless at best and downright harmful at worst. Now, I sounded rather bleak talking about the state of, the, of American church culture in the pulpit at large, but... Uh, it, and it is true, today in 2023, we don't have an abundance of true preaching. But despite that problem, I will say, and I have noticed at the turn of the century, God is raising up more and more young men of God who are turning away from the trend that we see in many places and trending away from glib preaching and, and diving into the exposition of Scripture as we're going to see we see in the sacred text. Sadly, though, in many places we have a lot of talking. We have a lot of oratory. We have a lot of information. We have plenty of pulpit politics. We have an abundance of man-centered psychobabble, but we have no true preaching. And that is sad. The condition of far too many pulpits in the modern American church is illustrated well by an account from the life of Samuel Clemens. Now you know Samuel Clemens. You know him by his pen name, Mark Twain. Wrote Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Well, Samuel Clemens tells of an experience he had once when he attended a church. He uh, met the preacher at the door as he was leaving, and he told the preacher, he said, I have a book at home that has every single word you preached this morning. Now that sort of shocked the preacher. And the preacher said, well, that, wait a minute, that was an original message. He said, I'll have the book, I'll deliver it, have it delivered to your doorstep Monday morning. Samuel Clemens, i.e. Mark Twain, uh, had this book delivered. The pastor got up and uh, saw a package or book or something wrapped on his front porch. He unwrapped it. He was eager to see what it was. And what did he pull out? He pulled out a dictionary. And he opened the dictionary. And on the flyleaf cover, Twain had written words, just words. Now, guys, the sobering truth is that all across this land, there's a lot of preaching going on. But in too far many places, all the people are hearing are words, just words, and not the living and enduring Word of God. And that is sad. The great tragedy is that God in this is not glorified, nor are the people helped. The sad truth in the midst of the great tragedy is that people listen to oratorical dung masquerading as a sermon, thinking they have heard a good word when it was not a word at all. Now this is why. Now you may wonder, why am I preaching a message on true preaching to a group of non-preachers? I'll tell you why. Why would I preach on 
preaching to a group of mostly non-preachers? Well, because first, this, this, by the way, is probably one of the most important messages that I could preach to my follow, fellow non-preaching believers. Because for the health of your soul and the health of your spirit, it is imperative that you are biblically equipped to rightly distinguish between true preaching and false preaching. That is important. This is what our text that I read. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 5, will help us do. The Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, gives us a rubric through which we can listen to preaching. The Apostle Paul provides us with a lens through which to look, a filter through which we can listen. So let's expose this text and let's extract its truth and let's be equipped by God. Okay? Now, this morning, the first main thing that I would show you here is we see the mark of true preaching. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 4. Now, before we get into the particulars of verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 4, I need to state something about true preaching. And the first thing that I want to state to you is that true preaching is saturated by the Word of God. Do you hear me? True preaching is saturated by the Word of God. Now that is not explicitly said in our text. It is inherently applied. But let me clarify for you that this is reality and truth. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 2 about this. Paul says, what does he say? He says, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Wow. That is where it all begins. It begins. It ha- and it has to be saturated with the Word. Paul, listen what Paul did not say. Paul did not say, preach about the Word. Paul did not say, well, mix the word in your message. The command is, preach the word. I take that literally. I take that. That's why I preach in the manner that I do. I take that literally, line by line, verse by verse. I take it. You take a text of Scripture. That's your message. That is what goes forth. It is the text that determines the structure of the message and not your message that you're imposing on a text. But so many do. The other... It used to, when I was younger, it used to anger me when I would hear a preacher read a verse and never return to it. Now that I'm a little older, not as old as Archie, by a long shot. Now that I'm a little older, it doesn't so much anger me as it does grieve me. Because I think, what an opportunity missed. 
an opportunity to glorify God, an opportunity to help the people of God. Missed. I, I remember at a, uh, it was a service for graduating seniors. This was years ago. I was at a, a little country church out in Colbert County. Uh, our church was there at this service. It was several churches at this church. And there was a minister that got up, and he, he opened up talking about how the Bible is the inherent, infallible, God-breathed Word. And then he opened that inherent, infallible, God-breathed Word, and he read a text of Scripture. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. He never once went back to that Scripture. He just talked about some general things told some cool stories. But that was not preaching. That was not, that was not preaching. That was not true preaching. It was not true preaching at all. Well, when it is the word that is preached, when Preaching is saturated by that word. The particulars that are in this passage that I'm going to show you and here in, in, in 1 Corinthians will naturally flow out of it. Okay? So continuing to think about the marks of true preaching here as we look, knowing that true preaching is saturated by the word of God, we see in verse 1, true preaching is going to be God-centered. It's going to be God-centered. What has he talked about? He said in, in verse 1, he said he came to you. And what did he do? He didn't come in lofty and superior speech and all this stuff. But what was he proclaiming to them? The testimony of who? The testimony of God. Where do you find the testimony of God? You find the testimony of God in His Word. This is where it is. It's His Word from Genesis to Revelation. That is the testimony of God. True preaching. When it is the Word of God that is proclaimed. When it is biblical exposition. It will be saturated with the grandeur and the greatness and the glory of God. It does not begin, listen, true preaching, it does not begin with people. It does not begin with the felt needs of people. It does not take a survey to discover topics of interest. It does not start with a topic at all. It begins and it ends with the Word of God. It proclaims the testimony of God. That is what true preaching does. It proclaims the testimony of God. True preaching is God-centered, not man-centered, in its proclamation. But God-centeredness means it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Him. Wow. Well, true preaching we see in this text is not only God-centered, but when it is the Word that is preached, it is also, we see in this text, another mark is that true preaching is Christ crucified in its theme. 
It is Christ crucified in His theme. Verse 2, what did He say? I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Woo! That is the theme of true preaching. Christ crucified. The preaching of the pure Word of God is blanketed with the theme of the Gospel all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We see it. Every word is connected in some way to the Lamb of God. Now somebody might say, well, even the Old Testament? You better believe even the Old Testament. By the way, when Paul and, and the apostles were preaching, your New Testament was being written. It wasn't written. When they refer to the Scriptures, they weren't referring to 1 Corinthians or to, 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 to James or the book of Revelation. They were referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. Okay, that, that's true. Now, certainly when we find things they say about the Scriptures in the New Testament, now that includes the New Testament, and we can apply it both ways. But they were talking about the Old Testament. And you see, Jesus on one occasion, keeping this in mind, all they had was the Old Testament. Jesus on one occasion uh, was talking with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying to, of course, trip him up. But in John chapter 5, Jesus said these words. Listen to what He said. He told those Pharisees, He said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, what they, they, Scriptures, that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me and have life. So what did He tell me? He said, look, Pharisees, you're studying the Old Testament Scriptures backwards and forwards because you think by all your study of all the things that Moses wrote and all these things that the prophets wrote, you think you have eternal life by doing all that. And you refuse to come to me. Do you not understand, Pharisee? Do you not understand, young preacher boy gone astray? Do you not understand these texts, these scriptures bear witness to me, the Christ? Wow. It's all about me. Let me just give you a little sample. Now, Throughout the Old Testament, we find Jesus pictured in many ways. But let me just give you some few ways from each book of the Old Testament. In Genesis, we see that He is the seed of the woman. The Messiah promised to come. In Exodus, He's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, He is the high priest. In Numbers, He is the cloud and fire by night. In Deuteronomy, He is the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, He's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, He is the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, He is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, He is the prophet of the Lord. In First and Second Kings, He is the reigning king. In First and Second Chronicles, He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Ezra, He is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, He's the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, He is the one like Mordecai. In Job, He is the day spring from on high. In Psalms, He is the Lord who is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, He is the wisdom of God. In Song of Solomon, He is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, He is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, He is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, He is the Son of Man. In Daniel, He is the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. 
in Hosea. He is the bridegroom in Joel. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit in Amos. He's the burden bearer in Obadiah. He's the mighty Savior in Jonah. He's the forgiving God in Micah. He's the messenger with beautiful feet in Nahum. He is the avenger of God's elect in Habakkuk. He is the great evangelist in Zephaniah. He's the restorer of the remnant in Haggai. He's the cleansing fountain in Zechariah. He's the pierced son and in Malachi, he is the son who is rising with healing in his wings. (laughs) He's there. He's there. From Genesis all the way up to Malachi. And we know from Matthew all the way to Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. Now there are many other things that are there, yes. But the theme, the continuum from the beginning to the end is about the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. Wow. Wow. Well, true preaching is God-centered in nature. We see that in Mark. It's crucified, Christ crucified in theme, verse 2. Now, verse 4, we see true preaching is a demonstration of Holy Spirit power. That's what Jesus said. I mean, what Paul said in verse 4 of chapter 2. Now, when we think about a demonstration of of the Spirit's power, specifically, I would want to direct you to who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Because this Holy Spirit... He works in conjunction with the Word of God. And He will do everything He does in conjunction with the Word of God. And what does He do? What has been revealed to us that He does that we should think of right here? Well, first and foremost, I would tell you that He has he demonstrates His power in glorifying Jesus Christ. He demonstrates his power in glorifying Jesus Christ. That's what he does first and foremost. When you go to John chapter 16 and verse 14, he tells you that when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to what? To bear witness to me. The Holy Spirit throws the light on Jesus Christ. So he, in true preaching, when it is the word preached... The Holy Spirit demonstrates His power in most glorifying Jesus Christ. But He also demonstrates His power in this way. In conviction. Conviction of sin. Conviction of righteousness. Conviction of judgment. If you go on to in chapter 16 and you look at verses 8 through 11, we read that this is one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. This ministry of conviction. We read that Paul writes to the Thessalonican church in chapter 1 and verse 5. It talked about his preaching that it came with great power and deep conviction upon the people. Uh, Conviction, especially of sin, is not a pleasant thing always, is it? John Wesley, bless his heart, Armenian that he was. He wasn't like these Armenians today. These Armenians we got today are so man-centered it makes God sick. But I digress. John Wesley was a very God-centered man. And John Wesley would tell young preachers when he was uh, 
that he was helping train, he said, look, if you're preaching the gospel of the word, he said, you know what? He said, two things are going to happen. He says, when the conviction comes, you're going to either make people either going to get converted or they're going to get mad. They're going to get converted or they're going to get mad. I've learned in, 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 in my experience has always been when you preach the pure word of God, you're going to have people that get angry. You're going to have people that are disinterested. You're going to have people that will not listen. You will have people that are converted. And you have, but you have church members, because John didn't mention this. He wasn't a pastor. He was an evangelist, okay? But you have church members that are strengthened and grow. And, and I, I can tell you the testimonies of people that have told me that they have grown such, not because of me, but because of the word of God. I've seen people that have been in church all their lives sit under the exposition of Scripture and they have grown by leaps and bounds spiritually. It is amazing what God does with His Word. Wow. Well, it has the power to convict the Holy Spirit's power. We see it in regeneration or conversion or the new birth. Um, you read in John chapter 3 what did Jesus says. He talked about whoever's born with the Spirit. They're born with the Spirit. The Spirit blows wherever it wants to. It's like the wind that blows, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That is a, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then also, it, we see the power demonstrated to, be, to boldly bear witness to Christ. Acts 1 and verse 8, what does it say? It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will bear witnesses of what? Of me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. Wow. Wow. Well, that's the mark of true preaching that we see in our text. We see that it is God-centered. We see that it is Christ crucified in theme. We see that it is a demonstration of Holy Spirit power. We see that it is to be saturated with the Word of God. Now, number two, notice the manner of true preaching. The manner of true preaching. Uh, verse 1, verse 3, verse 4. Uh, in verses 1 and 4 of, of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, we see that true preaching does not depend on oratorical skill. Paul said his preaching was not in superior speech. His preaching was not found in worldly wisdom. His preaching is not found in persuasive words. That's why you can... Take a country bumpkin from backwater Alabama and he can grammatically murder English words yet preach with power the pure word of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think we want country bumpkins everywhere. But you know what? What I'm saying is, is that that does not take away from the power of God. If anything, it glorifies Him. You remember, if you, if you look at Peter and you compare him with Paul, you had Peter over here. Peter was what? An unschooled man, a fisherman. Yet he preached a powerful message on the day of Pentecost. You see, he interwove various scriptures from Psalms in his preaching, preaching to the Christ. It was God-centered. It was Christ crucified in theme. Um, but then you got someone like the Apostle Paul. 
an educated man. He was, I mean, he, he was really educated. Smart man wrote most of your New Testament. Okay, you need both. But on one side here, you've got the unschooled man who doesn't know anything. Guess who gets the glory? God. And then you've got the man that's all this education over here and his preaching can't be dependent upon what he knows and what he's learned. It still has to be dependent upon God and His Word. And God is glorified. So here we see the manner of true preaching. It does not depend on oratorical skill. Verses 1 and 4. We see in verse 3 that true preaching is carried out in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Paul said, when I came to you, I came to you with much fear and much trembling. You see, it bothers me when somebody says, oh, it's easy for me to preach. Guys, I will tell you, my experience has always been uneasiness and unsettledness before I stand up and preach. I always am concerned just a little bit. You know why? You know what that does? That keeps me dependent on God. Okay? I, I remember a, a, a guy in seminary class telling me about how easy he could look at a text and it just preaching just came to him. And he could talk and talk and talk and talk. But guys, I have told you that public speaking is not my personality originally. It used to terrify me. Well, some of the remnants of that fear is still there. I, my stomach gets in knots. I, I'm, I'm always wanting to, you know, oh, Lord, let me have some quiet time before I walk in there. I don't want to have any distractions. I'm afraid, what if I stand up and forget everything? Those are real fears. But you see, true preaching, the man that's going to be dependent on the Holy Spirit is going to have some uneasiness. There's going to be some fear. There's going to be some trembling. Otherwise, what you have is a manufacturing system of flesh. Religious flesh. You don't want that. True preaching... We consider the, the manner. Verse 4, I would tell you true preaching is passionate in its plea. Paul said, my preaching. Some texts, some, some translations say my speech. But Paul said, my preaching and my message right here are a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And the word that is translated preaching is kergema. And by implication of the very word that's translated preaching, I can tell you that true preaching is passionate in its plea. You hear me? It's passionate in its plea. The fact is, is that if God is at the center, which He will be if you're preaching the Word, and if Christ is its theme, which it will be if you're preaching the Word, the I think truly saved man of God will be passionately stirred by the gravity and the glory of such great truth. Now, it is true that a lost man can be passionate about the empty rhetoric of false preaching. And such a lost man can preach a passion-filled sermon of error. 
But it is equally true that a saved man cannot truly preach without the unbridled passion of a fire shut up in his bones. True preaching is not the mechanical regurgitation of commentary that has been digested all week. It is a release of spirit and truth that have collided within the human heart and soul. You cannot be true preaching about true preaching and be cool and disinterested in what you're teaching and preaching. Now, please hear me. Such passion is evident regardless of the style of delivery. Now, there are many styles. People have very many different sermon delivery styles. It doesn't matter if a man carefully reads from a manuscript like Jonathan Edwards read. Or if the man extemporaneously speaks and walks amongst the people. I used to be a walker and a pacer. I'm a, I've done, changed a little bit over my years. I still, one of these days, may run back there and pop you on the head back there, brother. Yes, I'm looking at you. <laughs> but I doubt it. Okay, but regardless of, uh, there is an intensity of speech. There is a passion about what you're preaching. There is, a, there is, a, there is something uh, stirring your own heart about what you are proclaiming. Um, there just is. It's there. And I would say, saints, beware of a passionless preacher. At least one that's trying to proclaim the word, if he's passionless, beware. Okay? He does not believe what he says, or he's just been peer, peer pressure appointed to the office he holds and not Holy Spirit anointed. Wow. So we have seen the mark of true preaching in this text. We see the manner of true preaching in this text. Now, number three, the mission of true preaching. Verse five, it's so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And you want me to tell you who the wisdom and power of God is? According to Paul in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, it is Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom and power of God. And so the goal and the mission of all true preaching is that your faith rests on Christ alone. That is faith for salvation and faith for living after you're saved. Wow. That's the goal. That's the purpose. The purpose of true preaching is not to make you feel good or stroke your ego or elevate your self-esteem. The mission of true preaching is so that the objects of people's faith would rest in Christ and Christ alone. The goal is that your hope rests on nothing more and nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is the aim of the Word of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. The whole of Scripture, as we've already noted, is there to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And this is why text-driven, verse-by-verse, 
exposition that is exegetical in nature is critical to preaching, in my humble opinion. Wow. To embrace anything less or to put up with anything other than the preaching of the pure Word of God is dangerous to the health of the local church. It's dangerous for at least two reasons. It's dangerous because a man can end up building a church out of false converts. And it's dangerous because it can leave the true converts anemic. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And yes, that's here in this scripture. But by God's sovereign design, the local church gathering, the ecclesia, the ecclesia, as we come together and form the body, preaching plays an important role. True preaching. True preaching. So I would say to you in closing, first I would say to the church, when I speak of the church, I'm not just talking about those of you that are members of this church. I'm just talking about those of you that are saved. As you listen to preachers preach, as you channel, surf, and stop, be careful who you listen. Listen, listen to whoever you want to listen to, but listen through the lens of the Scripture. That way you can detect error or you can detect rightness. Be careful. Be careful. You say, well, you're just wanting us to judge preachers all the time. Listen to me. I want you to be discerning. Do you know what that word discernment means? It means to critique and to pass judgment. You say, well, I thought I wasn't to judge. You know you're not to judge hypocritically. That's not what you're doing. You have to be able to pass judgments. The idea of being completely non-judgmental is an illusion. Okay. Judgments that we make are not based on our opinion. That would be being judgmental. Judgments we make must be made off of the standard of God's Word. For it is God's Word that judges the living and an active Word that judges the thoughts and the intentions of man. It is the double-edged sword that does that. We live in a culture and a society today that they're too sensitive and they don't want anybody to point or show what Scripture says. But it's the Scripture that does the judging. Okay? Now I would also say, close by not only saying and exhorting the church to do that, but I would also call forth for anyone here that is not a part of the true church, that has not been born again, I would tell you and I would remind you whether you're sitting in here today or whether you're somebody that's hearing this in podcast form somewhere, who knows where. The only hope that you have for heaven 
It's not in works of righteousness. It is not in what you do. You will never be able to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. It is through what Christ has done. And the message of the gospel is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what the Word of God alone teaches. And that's what brings God alone glory and will most satisfy your own soul. Wow. True preaching. It is indispensable to the life and the health of the local church. Let's pray. Father God, we bow before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, asking that you would touch us and Free us and help us to rightly respond to your word. Father God, I pray that, Lord, you would open the eyes of our heart that we might see. You would loosen our wheels that we might freely respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.